You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and life-altering TV and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. As usual, our disclaimer, Rafer, you and I are not real therapists. No. Or are we? No, we're not. We're not. (laughs) We're not. (laughs) But we are real TV and movie critics. So shall we get to this week's letters, Rafer? Yes. We're going to start with someone who writes into us as the almost graduate Uh, almost in parentheses there. So the almost graduate writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm a senior in college who will hopefully be graduating soon if I can survive the rest of the semester. I had a very difficult college experience. While I was not expecting the best four years of your life myth, I was also not expecting the amount of college-induced trauma I had to endure. I cannot even think about my school's administration without crying. It took me more than four years to finish my degree, and as ridiculous as it sounds, I feel burned out and washed up at 23, like my story is over before it can even start. No employer or grad school will want me. I know there are reasons to be hopeful and look forward to the rest of my 20s, but I was also looking forward to college, and it became my nightmare. Are there any films you can prescribe as I process my experiences and navigate this difficult transition? Oh, my gosh. I feel so sorry, almost graduate. This sounds like it was a really, really tough experience, and I want to just reassure you you're wrong. No employer or graduate school will want you. Really? Not a single employer of the millions of employers in America? Are you really saying none of them are going to want you? That's not true. That is not I think that's right. That's not true at all. No. And the idea of your life being over at 23, you're not even old enough to rent a car. I mean, come on. (laughs) This isn't true. If you're not old enough to rent a car, your life isn't over. No. You've been legally an adult by U.S. standards for two years now. (laughs) Right. Your life is not over when you've only been an adult for two years and can't rent a car. There's so much to look forward to. And also, 
you're not alone in having a bad college experience. I know that that myth of the best four years of your life, you're not falling for that, which is good. But I also want you to know it's not even an okay four years of your life for lots of people. For lots of people, it's a huge struggle. Rafer, you and I both talked about the fact that we did not finish in that window of time you're supposed to, and it wasn't necessarily easy, and we weren't necessarily kicking ass or taking names at college. No, I definitely was not. No, it can be really, really hard. It took me over seven years. I was working 60 hours a week to pay the bills while I was in college. It's it's not an easy time for lots of people. And I just wish that we were more honest about that. I wish that our feature films we're not so much focused on college being the glory days. Uh, there are so many movies where yeah. middle-aged people decide they're going to go back to college because that was the best time of their lives. I mean, right. a lot of times it's not. A lot of people just got through it, and thank goodness they got through it. And you got through it to almost graduate, and it's going to get better. I promise you. I, I totally agree. Um, I would say a couple things here. Uh, I, I don't know what... Um, you know this 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 listener is really referring to um you know that we don't we don't have any any details here but we are this listener is using words like um trauma and things like that and um and nightmare um and these are pretty strong words and so i don't i don't know you know my uh, at first i just sort of projected my own experience onto this letter and thought like oh yeah you know this that and there's a girl and oh my god and i'm sure it was really hard but you know, we could be talking about something much more serious here. Something much more serious could have happened to this listener. And I was sort of struck by this little throwaway sentence at the top of the letter, which says, if I can survive the rest of the semester and and to our listener, to the almost graduate, I hope that you are saying that in a very lighthearted and jokey way, um, just meaning, you know, boy, if I can get through this, ha ha. But if you mean that in any kind of serious way, um, I hope you will turn this podcast off right now while I'm speaking and go get yourself some help. Call a hotline uh, if you're really thinking of hurting yourself, uh, call somebody, a friend, a parent, a loved one, a hotline, anyone. Surely this college of yours has got to have some kind of infrastructure available and people that you can trust and talk to. So if 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 I'm overreacting, then I'm overreacting. But if I'm not, then, you know, call, call someone and reach out to someone. Yeah. And I'm just going to interject right now with the U.S. National Suicide Prevention Hotline number. That is 800 273 8255. That's 800 273 8255. There are hotlines all over the world, though, even if you're not in the US, there are hotlines you can call. So remember, you're not alone. Uh, do what Rafer said. Yeah. You know, reach out to folks if you feel you need help. Yes. Um, but getting back to this whole idea that, you know, you, you are here, you are 23 years old, and you're looking at sort of what seems to be the end of your life. That part I can certainly relate to. That is exactly how I felt when I graduated college and I spent a good, I don't know, four years in that mental state um, just doing nothing. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but, you know, look, here I am alive, doing okay. Got this podcast. I'm happy. I got kids. I got a wife. I'm doing all right. Uh, things do get better. Um, so, you know, we have, a, we have someone who's in quite a state here. Kristen, what are we going to recommend? Well, I'm going to let you go first, Rafer, because I think that your prescription speaks better to this uh, letter writer's issue maybe than mine does. Oh. <laughs> so you go first. All right. Well, look, I'll give it a shot. Uh, I'm going to choose. And boy, did I sweat 
bullets trying to figure out what to um, suggest for this listener because... Me too, yes. Did you? <laughs> oh, I did, yeah. <laughs> because like I say, I just, I felt this one so strongly because it just seemed to come like out of my own past. Um, so the the movie I chose is a movie that Kristen and I both know very well. It's Whiplash from 2014. And the reason I say that Kristen and I know this well is because uh, back when we used to have Movie Date, one of our first and biggest interviews was with the director, Damien Chazelle, who went on to do La La Land. Um, so I think Kristen and I both feel like we were early Damien Chazelle adopters. Yes. Um, <laughs> so if you don't know this story, uh, it's um, it's about a uh, uh, kid named Andrew Neiman, played by Miles Teller. He's a jazz drummer, and he wants to be like the next Buddy Rich. He's very ambitious. It's all he does. Jazz, jazz, jazz. Drums, drums, drums. He's going to be the next big thing. And he uh, goes to the Schaefer Music Conservatory. Uh, he lands a coveted spot in the jazz orchestra of Carl Tanner, the famous demanding instructor at the conservatory, played by, of course, J.K. Simmons. Um, Andrew is all excited, you know, but his excitement kind of starts to fade as he realizes that Tanner is not really what most of us would call an educator. He's really a tyrant and a bully. He's verbally abusive. He's physically abusive. He's nasty, insulting. Uh, the stuff that he says in this movie in 2014 would never fly today in 2021. Oh, even back then it was hair-raising. Even back then, maybe, right? Upsetting. Even then it was. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's really beyond the pale. Uh, and his philosophy as a teacher, uh, you know, he really rules by fear and humiliation. Uh, and his philosophy is summed up in a, in a somewhat famous quote, there are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. Here's a clip. Why do you suppose I just hurled a chair at your head, Neiman? I, I don't know. Sure you do. The tempo? Were you rushing or were you dragging? I, I don't know. Start counting. Five, six, seven. In four, damn it. Look at me. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now, was I rushing or was I dragging? Oh, no. Count again. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Rushing or dragging? Rushing. So you do know the difference. If you deliberately sabotage my band, I will fuck you like a pig. Now, are you a rusher or are you a dragger or are you going to be on my fucking time? I'm going to be on your time. Rayford, this is such an intense movie. That scene just makes me Ugh. sweat. Oh my god! It yeah, s sweat and maybe like kind of cry a little bit. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it really makes your stomach kind of you know kind of shrink inside your body. Um, yes. And it's really just um, it's an, just an electrifying film. Um, you know, both Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons are great in this. I think this was the this was really I think the moment where we all started regularly putting the word "great" in front of J.K. Simmons, just sort of mm -hmm. as a matter of course, right? We were all just so stunned by him in this movie. Um, and so I recommend it because, I mean, he's expecting it to be a certain kind of experience, and it turns out to be just horrible. It, it, it is traumatic. It is devastating. At one point, it's almost deadly in this movie. But he survives, and this is the reason that I recommended the film, because um, the key to the whole movie is basically that the experience, this horrible, horrible experience, makes him what he is. I don't want to give anything away, but when it's all over... 
he's not really going to look back on it and say, oh, ha ha, it was no big deal. Uh, it's all in the past. I'm over it. It's cool. Remember how I reacted? No biggie. That's not what he's going to say. He will be forever scarred by this. This will always be with him, but it has become a part of him. And it is a new, he is a new person, I guess, because of this thing that happened to him, because of this thing that he went through. And I guess that's what I wanted to say to our listener, to the almost graduate, is that whatever college is and was for you, it's, it is a part of you now, and you learned something. I'm positive you learned something from it, and I know that you're going to take it with you and move forward just like Miles Teller does in Whiplash. Oh, Reefer, that was beautiful. You have such a kind heart, Reefer. You have so much empathy. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Kristen. But listen, I want to hear what you are recommending because I feel like you too, I feel like you're good. You're good with the kids. You're good with the young, the young folk. This is why I want to hear what you have to suggest. All right. Well, again, this, this is not on the level of what you prescribed. <laughs> it's a little sitcom that ran on TV from 1979 to 1988. It's currently free on several apps and channels. It's called The Facts of Life. Of course. <laughs> I know The Facts of Life. I, I, you know, you're laughing, as everyone out there probably is laughing as well, too, at this moment, because I know this is not coming off as necessarily a smart idea for a prescription, but let me explain. So The Facts of Life ran on TV for about nine years total. The first four seasons of the show took place at the fictional Eastland Boarding School. Oh, right. And it showed the dramas and humor of life for four teenage girls, their housekeeper, Mrs. Garrett, and their friends. But when season four was done, the show, like so many TV shows that should have called it quits after high school graduation, right. <laughs> they decided to continue the show with Mrs. Garrett buying a shop, which she called Edna's Edibles. No relation to the current marijuana market. No, that was, it was a different time. It was. And the four girls moved in with her and everyone began sitting in a holding pattern for five more years just like you, almost graduate. And, you know, they do take college classes. Uh, the college classes don't always go very well. In this case, I'm going to play a clip here. Uh, Joe, she is one of the four girls, is taking a photography class, and her teacher takes a special interest in her. Mrs. Garrett, dating is, is just a label. I see. Then if you're not dating, what is it that you and this man are doing? <laughs> Look, we're spending time together. So? Are you crazy about him? Tootie, we have a good time together. He's a nice guy, and I learn a lot when I'm with him. End of report. Hey, Joe. Sam, hi. I was across the street at the bank. I thought I saw you. <laughs> so, uh, this is where you work, huh? Yeah. And we're who she works with. <laughs> hi, I'm Sam Hall. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is uh, Natalie and Blair. Hi. Hi. Hello. Hello. And uh, Tootie and Mrs. Garrett. Hi. Oh, Mrs. Garrett, nice to How meet you. How do you do? Smells like you make the kind of croissants nobody makes anymore. I do. <laughs> I mean, I try. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll say one thing about the facts of life. I sure loved Mindy Cohen. What? She was the worst actor on the whole show. Oh, my God. She was a complete talent. She was the best thing about the show. No, are you kidding me? What about Tootie? Come on, Kim Fields. Oh, yeah. Okay, right. Sure. Uh, but no, I, I, it's for me, it's Mindy Cohen all the way. Oh, she could not keep a straight face in a scene. She would laugh when she would deliver her really third-rate lines. It was terrible. <laughs> Anywho, what we're getting at is the show is schlocky. The acting is so-so. All that being said, though... 
It's entertaining and fun as only a sitcom from that era is. And I think... I agree. Thank you. And I think it may remind you, Almost Graduate, not everyone's college experience is what it is in a Hollywood film. For a lot of people, maybe even most people, it's more like network TV. (laughs) And, you know, specifically... It just goes on and on and on. (laughs) It just goes on way too long. It should have ended sooner. But the good news is life gets better afterwards. And I'm not saying it will be easy, but you will have more autonomy and maybe even a job you enjoy and friends you love and who love you. And if you're really lucky, you may even end up like Kim Fields, the actor I just referenced who played Tootie. Yes. Because after the facts of life ended, she went on to star alongside Queen Latifah for five years on Living Single. So you, dear letter writer, could be the Tootie here. You could be the Kim Fields in the end even if you're stuck above Edna's edibles for five years too long. You could be Mrs. Garrett and open up your own actual edibles shop today and and probably make a killing. You could. You could. (laughs) But look, what we're both saying is that you do indeed have a future ahead of you. We guarantee it. It's right in front of you. It is. It is. So once again, those recommendations are from Rafer, The Great Whiplash, and from me, The Great in its own way, the facts of life. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, raferandkristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. While you're there, you can also see the list of every movie and TV show we have prescribed on the show, or, you know, it's kind of up to date. So <laughs> maybe not <laughs> every, maybe not everyone, because we haven't necessarily updated um, as recently as we should have. But most of them are there. And if you haven't already, join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. Stay with us. When we're back, we have a gay listener who wants some non-tragic gay movies. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. Hey, everybody, we're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, take it away. All right. This letter is from Diego. I love the name Diego, by the way. It's like one of my favorite names. I don't know why. It just rolls off the tongue. Anywho, Diego writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm a gay man in my 30s, and I consider myself fairly well-read. So it took me a bit by surprise when I stopped to think recently and realized I could count on one hand the number of books I'd read with a gay main character. 
I have resolved to rectify that with my reading choices, but it caused me to consider also my exposure to the stories of gay characters in film and TV. The numbers are a bit better. I have seen most of the Oscar-y movies about gay characters like Brokeback Mountain, Moonlight, Milk, Call Me By Your Name, etc. But with movies and TV, these stories are often not very happy. Movies about AIDS or homophobia are necessary and important, and many of them are fantastic. But sometimes I just want to see stories of LGBTQ characters doing happy things, falling in love, getting into hijinks, having an adventure without dealing with virulent homophobia or the stress of coming out of the closet or AIDS. I've tried watching some indie gay rom-coms, but I picked a few at random and they were pretty lousy. I'm sure there must be good gay indie movies out there, but it's hard to separate the good ones from the bad ones. The only thing I've found that checks these boxes is the wonderful Schitt's Creek, but there must be more than that. Please help. And please, the gay character must be the lead, not the sidekick. Yeah, I've seen those indie gay rom-coms too, and they really are not very good. Some of them are pretty bad, as indie movies sometimes are gay or straight. Yes. Or otherwise. That's true. That's true. Gay or straight. Um, Yeah, this is tough. And... You know, we've had a few listeners um, uh, over the course of the podcast call in with similar uh, requests. And I, you know, it's always a tough one for me because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm not gay. And so I feel like I'm, I'm sort of putting myself out there as some kind of expert in, you know, gay cinema when I'm not. And plus, if you are gay, you probably have seen more of this kind of stuff than I have even. And then I feel like I'm going to pick something that everyone's going to go like, oh, my God, that's so obvious. We all saw that years ago. We've seen that 20 times. It's a tough one for me. Um, Kristen, how do you feel about this? Yeah, I mean, I think it is tough because clearly Hollywood for a very long time had zero interest in telling stories of gay people unless they were those tragedies, unless they were important Oscar movies. I'm saying important in quote marks here because it's also important that we see people – just living their lives, gardening, you know, I mean, right, going on dates, uh, making cookies, doing all the things that people just happen to do in real life, regardless of what their sexual orientation is. That's also important. I, I will say here, there is going to be a reboot of Queer as Folk coming up soon. I oh. can't recommend that, though, because I have not yet seen any of the reboot yet. I don't know if you have Rafer. So nope. um, my first thought was like, oh, I want to recommend the reboot. And then I'm like, oh, but what if it's terrible? So right. <laughs> I'm, I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> So I'm not going to recommend it. And uh, the older versions of Queer as Folk, I just, I can't help but wonder if those didn't age well. It's amazing how things that are only 10 years old can age very badly. Like Will and Grace. Will and Grace has not aged that well either. Yeah, it's, you know, it can be kind of hit or miss. But yeah. um, that being said, some things that you go back even further can hold up pretty well, I know, too. And that's where you come in, Rafer, right? Oh, well, sure. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm going to recommend a, an old... An old classic from the oldie 1980s, um, <laughs> uh, a, a film that I loved when it came out. Um, and so I thought maybe if I went back a little bit in history, um, maybe I could find something that this listener was a little less likely to have seen. Um, so uh, the movie I've chosen was My Beautiful Laundrette, uh, a Stephen Frears movie. Um, and as everyone on this podcast knows, uh, I love Stephen Frears. Um, so it's a, it, it takes place in the 80s. It's in England. Um, it's about two guys, uh, Omar. He's a Pakistani uh, teenager, young adult, uh, maybe 20s. Uh, he comes from a pretty well-to-do family uh, and a kid named Johnny, who's a white working class guy who's been sort of flirting with fascism and right-wing street gangs. 
Uh, the two of them used to be friends, but they drifted apart, and now they've kind of come back into each other's lives because Omar is opening up a laundrette, or what we would call a laundromat, um, and he has offered Johnny a job. And it's this very unlikely friendship, um, uh, but of course there's more to it because Omar and Johnny have always had a little thing for each other, and maybe they can pick up where they left off. And obviously they both have a lot of stake. Um, neither one of them come from what you call a gay-friendly background. Here's a clip. I recognize you, at least. We was expecting you to die. Well, I've gone. And the invitation was for three o'clock, Mr. Ollie. It's only ten past now. You know, I thought I'd come to the wrong place. That I'd suddenly found myself in a lady's hairdressing salon and pinner, where one might get a pink rinse. Do you do a good pink rinse, Johnny? Or are you still a fascist? You used to give us a lot of good advice, sir. When I was little. Oh, when you were little. What's it made of you? Are you a politician? Journalist? Trade unionist? No. You're an underpants cleaner. Can we just talk about Daniel Day-Lewis for a second? I knew you'd want to. He does no wrong, ever, does he? I know. Everything he does is great. Daniel Day-Lewis is so good in this. And this was really, like, in 1985, that was kind of, that was the year that he really broke out. Uh, It was not just My Beautiful Laundrette, but also Room with a View. Um, And so Mm -hmm. it was like, you know, it was the year of Daniel Day. Um, And I was, you know, I mean, the one thing I liked about Daniel Day-Lewis was he had this kind of new wave haircut and he had a little cap, so he looked like Morrissey. So, like, I was always like, oh, he looks like Morrissey. This is so awesome. I love Morrissey. Um, uh, But I think what I loved about the movie was it really felt so... it felt so now in 1985 because England was in the throes of all these right-wing hate groups like the National Front and the Skinheads uh, and had been for years. And of course, immigration was the big driving factor, or so these guys said. Um, and when this movie came out, it really felt like you were seeing sort of the last couple years of like, you know, current English sort of new wave cultural political upheaval. Um, and it was just great. Um, and I know that... Uh, the 80s was a pretty good time, actually, for gay movies. You had Entree New, a French movie, I remember, and Morris. Um, oh, Morris, of course, yes. Yeah, right? Remember, that was a really good movie. Um, the Hunger, uh, slightly more problematic. Spetters, what early Paul Verhoeven film, which I remember being kind of taken by, also a little problematic. But anyway, there was some good gay cinema around, but it was still pretty uncommon. And I remember when Johnny and Omar kissed for the first time, it was like a real shocker to me. You just didn't see that on screen that much. Um, anyway... The main reason I recommend it, aside from just that it's fantastic, is because it's not tragic. It is, it's, it's, AIDS does not dominate the conversation. There's no uh, kind of tragic gay sacrificial lamb character. It's, it's really like an upbeat Brokeback Mountain, right, from the 80s, um, you know, and it's got a, it's got a, it's, there's drama and there's things that happen in it, but it, it's, it's got a good sort of upbeat feel to it that, again, was really uncommon for, uh, for gay cinema. So that's why I recommend My Beautiful Laundrette. Great recommendation, Rafer. It was 
one of my late mother's favorites. She loved that movie. Is that right? Well, she also really loved this TV show, which I'm sure all of our British listeners know, called The EastEnders, where... Of course, um, yeah. So I think the beautiful laundrette kind of like was a Venn diagram. Somehow it crossed over into that world yeah. enough. And so she's just right. like, oh, yeah, I just love that beautiful laundrette. She loved that movie. Yeah. That's awesome. Oh, good, good. Diego, sorry. I don't know if that makes the movie sound more or less appealing that my late mother loved it. <laughs> that sounds very appealing. <laughs> So I am, forgive me, listeners who get tired of me recommending Christmas movies. I am recommending a Christmas movie. Yes, I am. Of course. I am recommending it unapologetically, actually. I, I, I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to own Talk it. Talk about a Venn diagram, Kristen. <laughs> Go for it. I am recommending The Christmas Setup from 2020. And before anybody says, didn't you already recommend that? No, that was Dashing in December I recommended last year for gay Christmas movies. I was just thinking the same thing. No, no. Dashing in December, totally different movie with Andy McDowell. I don't know how I got them mixed up. What's the matter No, with it's me? like that was a gay cowboy romance. Yeah, this see. is not a gay cowboy romance. This is a Midwestern Christmas <laughs> gay romance. And this was a made-for-TV movie that was um, aired on Lifetime. And it centers around a character named Hugh. Hugo, he's an uptight New York City attorney who goes back to his hometown with his best friend Madeline to visit his mother, Kate. Kate is played notably by the great Fran Drescher, who is a hoot in this. Oh, I love Fran Drescher. Oh, she's so good. She's so good. And while they are there, Hugo reconnects with his high school crush, Patrick. And of course, sparks fly. Here they are at the possibly soon-to-be-demolished historic train station, looking for clues so they can save the train station for the town. No, don't sit at his desk. Oh, a good lawyer's always a good detective. Wow, these photos are incredible. That's interesting. When he died, there was no family, and he left a lot of his estate to someone named D. Ashby. D. Ashby? Yeah. Look at this. The two of them traveled the world. <laughs> they spent Christmas Eve together, too. And he left him most of his estate? Do you think? Well, that'd be romantic. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> what we do know is Carol built this neighborhood. And he created a Christmas tradition we're still celebrating 100 years later. We can't let the city tear this place down. It's not right. It means too much. We all tried, Hugo. Well, I'm not going to let it happen. Not after seeing that. Kristen, this is the same movie. It's the same <laughs> movie that you recommended. That's the same clip. No, no, no. Dashing in December, they're trying to save the historic sleigh ride experience. That's very different from trying to save the train station. Rafer, it's very different. I feel so foolish. Okay. Very different. Continue, Very Kristen. different. But... I know why you're making fun of me, but that's because pretty much every made-for-TV Christmas movie has the same plot, right? Guy in the big city has his heart <laughs> open by going back home, and then they save the whole yes. downtown. Whatever. But it does not matter if it's the same plot. What matters is how it's executed. And it is executed so beautifully and so magically in this. The pacing is great. It's so funny. There's all the things you want in a made-for-TV Christmas movie. You know, the Christmas trees, the hot chocolate, the sitting in the back of the pickup truck and looking up at the sky trying to see the Aurora Borealis, all of that stuff. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. And I also just have to point out that the two leads are Ben Lewis and Blake Lee, and in real life, they are married. Oh. And anytime they're on screen, 
the affection between those two, the way they look at each other. Oh, my God, your heart will just melt when you see the love between them. It is such a delight. And no, there is no tragedy in any of this. It is just happy and joyful. And you'll want to stand up and cheer for these two. I do every time I watch it, which maybe is often. I love this. That's really, that's cute that they're married. Oh, yeah, it's great. And it doesn't always work. Let's be real. Sometimes you cast couples who are married. Like, remember when Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise were cast together in Eyes Wide Shut? Yes, I do. Yep. Married couples don't always have sparks on screen. Let's just I mean, be real. I, I was just I was just writing a review of um, Thunder Force, the new movie that Melissa McCarthy made with her husband Ben Falcone, who I think are like the two coolest people in Hollywood, but the movies they make together are always awful. I don't know why that is. We know, Rafer. You've talked about this on I the show. I don't know before. why. I don't I'm think sorry. those two should be I making don't. movies together. We know. We all I'm know. Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, anyway. But yes, you're right. It's not always the case that married couples work well together. All right. I'll lay off Melissa McCarthy. I'm sorry. I think we've got two good recommendations here from Kristen, the Christmas setup, and for me, my beautiful laundrette. All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do, thank you, everybody out there who's rated and reviewed us on Apple Podcasts. For example, Sarah recently gave us five stars and wrote, I knew I had to write a review when I took a bubble bath and left my AirPods in so I could continue listening to the show. I'm usually so much more cautious with my tech, but I wanted to keep listening to this great lighthearted podcast with two amiable hosts that make great movie and TV recommendations based off the challenges that listeners write in about. Well, thanks, Sarah. Listen, uh, thanks for listening. Don't wear your AirPods in the bubble bath, but if you ever do, we'll be your rice. That's what we'll be for you. Yes. Yes. Put those AirPods in a bag with us. (laughs) We'll hang out with them. (laughs) All right. When we're back, we will have our final What Should I Watch Next letter of the week. All righty. We are back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next letter, Rafer. What is this letter? This one comes from Marsha. Marsha says... Ooh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Marsha says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I am no stranger to dumb monster movies. I've seen and enjoyed everything from 50s B-movies like The Blob to The Toxic Avenger to Sharknado. One of your favorites, Kristen. You know I love some Sharknado. But Marsha says, Despite my best efforts, I could not, for the life of me, enjoy the new Godzilla vs. Kong on HBO Max. I'm not sure if you've seen it yet, but I'll just say that for me, it was all CGI and zero fun. In fact, it left such a bad taste in my mouth that I felt I had no choice but to come to you for help. What should I watch next? Oh, Rafer, I bet you love Marsha because uh, off mic last week, you were telling me that you also were not a huge fan of Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> Is this letter actually from you, Rafer? It's not from me. It's not from me. <laughs> no, because you don't love Sharknado like I do. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, yeah. Well, Marsha, listen, um, you know, let's let's bond. Uh, I thought that Godzilla versus Kong was just god awful. And I couldn't believe how many uh, like really uh, critics that I that I read frequently and respect um whose work I think is top notch how they were all just they wrote these glowing reviews of Godzilla versus Kong and I just thought I I just I mean the the first the, the 
the previous Godzilla, Godzilla King of the Monsters, I just thought was a complete howler. I thought that movie was so bad. And this one, at least that one was bad in a funny way. And I thought this one was bad, not even in a funny way. I just, I could, I just, I'm, I'm with you, Marsha. I'm with you. I, I can't even, I can't even think of, I don't want to, I don't want to get off into a tangent of dumping all of our Godzilla versus Kong, but I'm with you. I thought it was terrible. And people, and people love this. They love the movie. I got so much hate mail on that review. People <laughs> love that movie. But it's not fun. I'm going to say it, Marsha. I could not stay awake for it. I fell asleep. You watched it too? Oh my God. Yeah. I just thought it took itself way too seriously. Oh my God. The Titans. It's like, why are you taking yourself so seriously? It's like two monsters. Come on. Oh, and the conspiracy theorist guy is <sighs> not funny. And oh boy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, boy. if they would have upped everything, like the drama about, I don't know, 90% and just been that much more intense or something, I don't know. They just needed to bring something to it that was more fun. You know, it was not no, fun. No fun. It's not fun. And, you know, as <laughs> I, I, I did a, we did a cute little thing in Newsday where we interviewed um, Blue Oyster Cult who are huh. from, talk about a Venn diagram. They are from they are from Long Island and they are also fans of Godzilla because they wrote a big hit song called Godzilla. Mm -hmm. And so I interviewed them and they, they were both saying, I've interviewed Buck Darman, I interviewed Eric Bloom from Blue Oyster Cult and they were both saying, you know, I just like the big, slow, plodding kind of tubby Godzilla in the foam rubber suit. That's that's the one I like. I don't like this CGI stuff. Give me the give me the dude in the suit crushing yeah. the, the little Texaco station. That's what I want. Me too. I totally agree. Have fun with it. Have some moments that are almost adorable. But right. yeah, there there's nothing adorable in this one. There's not. No offense to anybody else out there who loved it. I'm sure that there are going to be legions of fans and probably sequels or whatnot but yeah fine if you loved it great but not my cup of tea either so Kristen, what did you find for this listener all right well marcia i just loved your list of movie examples you gave us the blob the toxic adventure sharknado yeah i love a movie with a sense of humor those all have a sense of humor and so i came up with another movie that is a monster sort of movie with a sense of humor from 1985 called The Stuff. Do you know The Stuff, Rafer? Oh, The Stuff. Yes. With the um with the uh the kind of foamy, it's like a it's like it's a It's almost like frozen yogurt or ice cream or something. Yeah, it's like a it's like a it's like a I can't even describe. It's like that spreadable marshmallow fluff stuff almost. Yeah, kind of like it's a little bit light and and sort of frothy-ish, but kind of gooey. <laughs> anyway, I'm getting way too into the actual substance of the stuff. But but I, I remember this. But it's hilarious <laughs> that you remember this movie. It's a little, it's kind of, anyway, you go on, you go on. Uh, if you're not familiar with the stuff, it opens with uh, these railroad workers who discover this kind of gooey white substance resembling ice cream coming out of the ground while they're digging it. And they try it. It turns out to be sweet and delicious and addictive. They try it. And before you know it, this alien substance is being marketed and distributed as a zero-calorie dessert. And, of course, it's hugely popular with America, which is always diet-obsessed and sweets-obsessed. Right. And uh, with the success of the stuff, unfortunately, the ice cream industry starts to suffer. And leaders of the ice cream industry hire an undercover detective to find out what the stuff actually is made of. And they're trying to undermine the stuff and destroy the company that is in charge of the stuff. And they soon discover the stuff is not just a gooey, delicious concoction. It's actually a living, parasitic, and possibly <laughs> sentient organism 
that gradually takes over the brain, eating people from the inside and leaving them empty shelves of their former selves. Here's a clip. We interrupt this presentation with the following urgent message. Tonight, America is in grave danger. We are under alien attack by a popular dessert known as The Stuff. Here, Jason, take some. No, don't eat that. There is something alive in there. Tasty. There's something alive in yogurt. It's called benign bacteria. If the stuff is in your house, do not eat it. If you have it on your shelves, do not sell it. If you distribute this material, close your doors, make no more sales. Enough is never enough. What a great, terrible, wonderful premise. The ice it's cream. so good. The ice cream industry is going to go after the stuff. It is so good. And I don't know if you remember this, Rafer, but the whole movie is interspersed with these really convincing 80s sorts of TV ads for the stuff where it's like, yes, you know, that's right. girls exercising and they love the stuff. I can't get enough of the stuff. Yeah, they just love this. And it's like frozen yogurt style ads. It's like runway fashion ads. And no, Is this from the 80s, the stuff? Yes, yes. It's from 1985. Really? Yes. I remember it being so much earlier because I, I always sort of put it in my mind with Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, you know, which is which is a late 70s movie, I think. Oh. Okay. Um, and it, they always seem very, very uh, sort of like companion pieces to each other. Um, but wow, that's a, the, the 80s movie. All right. The stuff. Yeah. What a great suggestion. Oh, it is so, so good. It is ridiculous. It's, you know, it's a commentary on consumerism and diet culture. It's a, right. it's like <laughs> it, it, it's smart and it's stupid. It, it's just a delightful movie. And believe it or not, it even has good actors in it. Like Paul Sorvino is one of the stars of this movie. Oh, my God. Paul Sorvino. Yes. I love Paul Sorvino. <laughs> <laughs> but enough of that stuff. Rafer, what are you going to prescribe Marsha here who needs a better monster movie? <laughs> okay. That's a tough one to top, Kristen. Um, all right. I'm going to suggest uh, a movie from a few years ago. One of my favorite movies uh, from 2016, uh, Colossal with Anne Hathaway. Do you know this movie, Kristen? I do. And I thought it was Fine, but tell us only fine. Tell us why you will love it so much. Wow, I'm so surprised, Kristen. Oh, wow. Okay, I loved this movie. All right, so it stars Anne Hathaway as a, a woman named Gloria. She's a young writer whose career in New York is not going that well. She's not doing so much writing as she is drinking. Her boyfriend kicks her out. She's got nowhere to go except back to her little hometown. Um, I don't think they ever say exactly where it is. It's called Mainhead. And I think when I saw it, I just assumed it was in Maine, but I, I don't think they ever say. Anyway, she takes a job at a bar. Again, not a great move for someone who's an alcoholic, but the bar is run by her old friend Oscar, played by Jason Sudeikis. He's got kind of a crush on her. And so, so far with this plot, we're in kind of mumblecore territory, right? A bunch of 20-somethings are drinking beer and talking about their feelings. But then suddenly a giant monster attacks South Korea. And it's all over the news and everyone's staring at this monster. They can't believe that this thing is actually happening. It's so bizarre. And Gloria discovers that the monster is actually her. If she goes to a particular spot in her town, a playground, in fact, and stands in it, the monster will suddenly appear. 
If she lifts her foot, the monster will lift its foot, and so on. Here's a clip. Wait for what? Just watch the screen and tell me when you see it. See what? Holy shit. All right, it's back. It's, you, know, you see it? Yeah, I got it. Is it there? The giant monster? Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Gloria, you got to see this. What is it doing? It's dancing. It's dancing like... Holy shit. <laughs> uh, it stopped. <laughs> I'm blowing you. I'm blowing you kisses. Oh, what the? Okay, how? How? Wait, wait. This isn't happening. No, no, no. This is not happening. This is one of those practical joke apps. This is a joke. You know, it's I a still joke. feel like dancing. So, uh, can you guess which film this is from, huh? The fuck is going on? <laughs> Now, Rafer, I don't want to put down Colossal. I know a lot of people who love this movie. Um, but I think you are going to put down Colossal. You're not a fan. I'm not going to put it fan. down. I'm not going to put it down. I'm just going to say that I guess I was a little confused about what it was trying to do at times. I'm like, is this monster just a metaphor for her lost place in the world? But if so, why does she have to kill so many innocent people in Korea every time she's exploring her own like sense of confusion? And I, I don't know. I, I guess I was a little bit confused about it. Or maybe it was that I didn't really understand the world building or the science of how it worked. Maybe that was. Maybe I'm just not smart enough to follow the movie. I don't know, Rafer. No, no, no. Listen, I think that's a. I think that's a totally fair um, objection. And if that kind of stops you, like I, I get it. Um, I just sort of got a kick out of it. I, I, I love the premise that you, a self-involved chick in her 20s, <laughs> could just spontaneously produce a giant monster that actually does crush and kill people. I, I thought that was hilarious. And like at first I thought, there, I'm temp- I guess I should say I'm tempted to say there's something very millennial about it. But, but really, every generation is self-involved when oh, they're in their course. 20s, right? You're all you all just think you're the first person to ever experience something or do something or have any kind of feeling. And I thought that was really funny. I, I love the way that uh, Colossal plays with the idea of the movies, it, like when the monster appears and everyone is kind of thinking, wait, a monster like from a like from a monster movie. And, and, and they are also attacking a far off Asian city that I, white person in a small town, have never been to. So it's all sort of an abstraction for me, just like it is in the movies. And isn't it kind of funny that like Gloria's totally cliched problems would manifest themselves as a total cliche. I thought that was really <laughs> funny. Um, okay, I can see that. I can see that. I just got a big kick out of it. And I, I will say that you may be kind of, you may be thinking about sort of the end of the movie, which does kind of lose its way a little bit. It gets a little off track and you do get a little, you do start to kind of wonder what exactly, the metaphor falls apart a little yes. bit, as you're saying. Yes. But for me... I just thought it was so much fun and such a clever, smart, funny idea. And I think one reason it wasn't a big hit was because of the poster. Do you remember the poster? Oh, yeah. In, yeah. The, poster, in the poster, you see Anne Hathaway scratching her head. And in the mo- in the background, the monster is scratching its head. But if you don't know the premise of the movie, you just kind of think, what? <laughs> and then it, and like, if you do, like, once you've seen the movie, you think the poster is hilarious. But if you haven't seen it, you have no idea what it's trying to tell you. But anyway... I loved it, and I thought it was uh, like a smart, funny, offbeat, weird take on the monster movie, and I just – I thought it was a great movie. I liked it a lot. Well, I will agree that it's absolutely better 
than Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> so is the stuff for that matter. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so once again, those recommendations are from Rafer Colossal from 2016. And for me, the stuff from 1985, which is currently free on Tubi and a few other apps. Free, you say? Not a surprise. Yes, free. <laughs> the stuff. It's free. All right, Kristen, it looks like we've wrapped up another episode of Movie Therapy. Indeed, we have. Thank you, everybody who wrote in this week. Thank you, people who write in every week and who we have not yet had a chance to read a letter from yet. We love you all. We'd be nothing without you. So thank you. And just a reminder, you can reach us on our website, RaferandKristen.com, or via Twitter, at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Thank you.